Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. of April 2022. It is a Thursday, in case you're keeping track of such things. Um, okay, so Peter Kapsner is um, is my leadoff because, you know, it's, it's this hour on Thursday. And so I like to start with stories that, for whatever reason, make me think of Peter. And so here's one today. Um, if you were asked questions about your dog, well, first of all, you should have a dog. If you don't have a dog, I don't think you can participate in the survey. But here you go. Two-thirds of Americans who have dogs, obviously, claim that they spare no expense when it comes to their dog. Um, They acknowledge that they pamper their pets. 75% of respondents consider their dog a member of the family. Think about that for just a moment. Um, Many of them willing to uh, go to a lot of extra expense to accommodate special needs of of a pet, of a dog specifically here. Um. They pay more attention to uh, the welfare and even the grooming of their dog often than they do themselves. Uh, they Their dog visits the salon far more often than they do. I mean, you know, like on and on and on. And so it gets eventually to the question of, do you consider your dog your best friend? And an overwhelmingly high percentage of Americans, uh, let me get the percentage up here at the top of the article, um, seven out of 10 people surveyed consider their dog their best friend. I mean, it's one thing for us to say casually that, uh, you know, a dog is a man's best friend. It's another thing for seven out of 10 people in America to actually think, consider that their dog is their best friend. So I want to have a best friend conversation with you here um, this morning. And just start with this. Who do you walk with in this life? And if your answer to that is, oh, well, you know, gosh, I, I go for walks with my dog. Yeah, I got that. But who are you walking in life with? Who is, who's going to walk with you in and through the valley of the shadow of death? Um, who do you call or text with good news? Who do you share your funny stories with? Who do you discuss the latest news with? Whose shoulder do you cry on when your heart is broken? Who knows your coffee order or that you prefer peppermint tea with honey to coffee at all? Like, who is your best friend? And certainly, you know, we have a great friend in Jesus, and I want, um, I want us to acknowledge and recognize that. And I also want us to acknowledge and recognize that we are people in need of relationships because we are designed that way. We're designed that way. God is, by his very nature, as triune, as what we call the Trinity, God is, by very nature, relational, and therefore, Made in his image, so are we. We are designed to exist in relationship, in community. We were not designed to live isolated, independent, disconnected lives of anonymity. We were created and made to be known and loved and to walk together in the ups and downs and the realities of this thing that we call life. So God knows, because obviously God made us that way, and Jesus knows 
as God, he experienced the need for companions while navigating his way through um, the reality of life. And so, yeah, there were the crowds, there were um, the enemies, there were um, lots of folks. But Jesus, in the middle of all that, found, identified, called unto himself, and walked with real friends, people with whom he invested time, upon whom he relied for mutual support. The real friends, right? The withing crowd, the crowd that was with Jesus. So, I want to be the kind of person that Jesus wants to be friends with. And and I also want to be the kind of person that demonstrates what a friend Jesus is in life to others. What a friend I have in Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. What does it look like for me to be that kind of friend in the life of another person? Peter Kapsner is up next. I'm leading off with a question about where he got the pink bag, in which I allege he returned the Charles Darwin notebooks stolen 20 years ago. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Headline goes something like this. Oh dear. Happy Easter X. Missing set of valuable Charles Darwin notebooks returned with a note in a pink gift bag. Dun dun dun. <laughs> so Peter Kapsner is back. Dr. Peter Kapsner, could you either confirm or deny that you wrote the Happy Easter X note? That uh, you are the one who put the missing Charles Darwin notebooks into a pink bag and left them at the library in Cambridge. Well, you know, Carmen, I can't reveal such information such as this. All, all I can, you know, maybe just allusions, allegations, that kind of thing. Let me just say this. It's amazing what you get access to that you shouldn't have access to when you put on fancy academic robes and people start taking you seriously because of it. Hey, so, seriously, when you go to Cambridge, do you walk around in your fancy <laughs> academic robes? Because that just really makes you so suspect. It re- well, and then when I open my mouth and I can't exactly speak in a high-class <laughs> London accent, it, it just reveals so much immediately. I've been escorted off, well, not less than a few times. <laughs> All right, tell people this story. What what happened? Well, it is interesting. There there were apparently some uh, char- original uh, copies of very small note cards on which Charles Darwin had written some of his scientific notes. And they weren't really actually that well-known. I don't even know that they were on display. They were in a storage box somewhere at Cambridge University. And as part of an inventory management program, they discovered that these notes were missing. The box was had been misplaced. And, uh, and also then that they had been returned in this anonymous gift bag, this pink gift bag that you said, with a little note that said, Happy Easter, Signed X. I mean, the whole thing is so incredibly puzzling because these are worth, by by all accounts, millions and millions of dollars. And they didn't really even know they were gone until they basically showed back up again. And we're talking about, of course, I don't agree with Darwinian anthropology and evolution and all of that. But you're talking about one of the most renowned scientists of all time and one of the most renowned academic institutions of all time. This is the stuff of national treasure. I fully expect a Nicolas Cage movie to come out of this here in the next couple of years. Okay, doesn't it seem so anti-Darwinian to 
uh, to return something that is of great value and not sell it for your <laughs> it own like right advancement. I mean, the Darwinian thing to do would have been to have sold them. The Christian or very Eastery thing to do would be to return them um, and make a little side declaration about the existence of God and Jesus, contrary to Darwinian philosophy, um, by wishing the librarian Happy Easter and signing it with an X, which is, you know, notably the one letter that we use to identify with Christ. For sure it is, for sure. And and that's why I understand why you were you were suspect of me. I did have a bit of a change of heart after the initial act. I, I was, I had painstakingly copied them down for sale on eBay, but I did have a change of heart. I had a bit of conviction. And so, yes, the pink bag and Happy Easter X. Again, I can't fully confirm it on air, but let's just say. All right. In the there is more to this story. I I of course suspect that's exactly what happened. That whoever took these had this moment of moral conviction. Yeah. And um and wanted to return what they had taken, and to do so in acknowledgement or honor of um, you know of of their faith, which you know is the only reason I think you would write Happy Easter and. The letter X, but there you go. Agreed. Um, all right. So, uh, yeah, it's such a great story. It um, is a great story. Right. And Carmen, if I can just say just quickly on sure. that, too, I think it, it, it does give us the opportunity to talk a little bit about the intersection of science and faith. We don't have to do a lot of that this morning, but I, I think if we can start, this is, you know, obviously you talk every morning about conversations within the culture and bringing the mind of Jesus um, to the headlines of the day. And there's a lot of people, I think, that find some measure of credibility in some of Darwinian theory. And, And I think it gives us the invitation to say, hey, look, we don't have to swallow hook, line, and sinker all of what Darwin said, especially being creatures of random origin, single-celled, who then ev- eventually evolved through a series of chants into the conscious beings that we are today. We don't have to swallow all of that. But I do think that you can look at principles of adaptation and change and say that over time, given environmental factors, that creatures don't maybe go species to species, but there are observable changes. And the, and the reason why I bring that up, Carmen, is that you gain a ton of credibility with a Christian voice when you decide to not be either or all the time in all of these conversations. Either God created the earth uh, in, in six literal days and, and everything has been that way since the beginning, or Darwin is correct. You don't have to pick between the two. You can reject much of Darwinian theory while still saying, hey, we probably learned some things here. It's not that different than talking about Galileo or Copernicus or other scientists over the years that maybe didn't have everything perfect, but actually did have some things to say. Point being, uh, people like you and me and, and everybody that is listening this morning and in incredible conversations, it goes a long ways to just acknowledge that this is not always an either or conversation. No, it's a both and. Absolutely. It's a both and. All right. Uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment. What are the things that we think we know, but actually don't? What happens when perception is not, in fact, reality? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing our conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Um, Peter, you and I have now um, both read this article about um, the things about which we are wrong, demographic misperceptions. Um, demographic misperceptions. Uh, first of all, if you do all the math in this YouGov America poll 
um, you discover that Americans are really bad at math because it's not possible <laughs> for 30 percent of the population to be gay and lesbian um, and then 29 uh, percent to be bisexual and then 21 percent to be transgender. Because if you add those up, 59 plus 21 that's 80% of the population that <laughs> right. would be LGBT, well, that, that would be LGBT, not accounting even for QAI++. So um, when you, in reality, the total of those numbers is somewhere like 7% all in, maybe. So what's going on here? Yeah, that, that poll that you referenced was trying to understand and get underneath how people are perceiving the demographics of our country, both in terms of what you just described, some of the sexuality demographics, but also demographics across race and gender. And what it revealed is that people have a tremendous disconnect between what they think is going on numerically in our country versus what is actually going on on a series of cultural and social issues but I guess, Carmen, you know, it's probably not surprising, right? I mean, in an, in an age of information where there's so much information that is streaming at us all day long, really just about any kind of institution or, or any kind uh, of business or government or whatever it happens to be, they're trying to control perception through the ongoing um, heightening of certain kinds of information. This is what happens with propaganda. This is exactly what's going on in Ukraine between Putin and Zelensky right now. They are trying to control perception independent of fact, especially in the case of Putin. I think Zelensky seems entirely more reliable right now, but he is still also persuading people through shaping of the information in a way that uh, that may or may not be in alignment with some of the facts. And that's how propaganda is meant to work, is you're shaping people's perception different than facts. But of course, businesses do this all day long. This is often at the heart of marketing. Uh, kingdom marketing, if you're a business person listening this morning, is where you find an alignment of what's actually going on within your products or your services and how you present them to the public. But so often that's not the case. We're being persuaded by businesses and good psychological marketing all day long to create perception. Or churches will sometimes do it. It happens in friendships or arguments between people. And, and that... I think one of the great characteristics people like you and me and Paul and, again, all of our Faith Radio family can cultivate is that, that characteristic of ruthless honesty, meaning that we, we don't try to shape other people's perceptions through how we present information. Uh, and we also uh, are constantly evaluating and analyzing, hey, if I listen to Fox News all day long or if I listen to CNN all day long, my perception is probably going to be getting shaped by organizations that are seeking to do just that is shape perception. Because if they can, if Fox News or CNN can shape your perception in a certain kind of way, then you're more liable to keep listening to them over and over and over again. And your view of the world actually begins to change. So. To be ruthlessly honest, uh, to be able to see through the fog, to stay committed to the scriptures, healthy conversations with one another. These are the places that Christians can really begin to stand apart in today's world is they just don't, they have an alignment with what is true and what they are saying is true. And I think so many of us, because we live in this information battle, are living in, in, in known and unknown disconnects between what is true and, and what we're saying about things. So it's such an important topic, but it's a subtle one that I don't think we often talk about very much. It is a subtle one, and we don't often talk about it very much. And so um, thank you for helping us talk about it today. Um, there are perceptions that we have um, 
based on media inputs um, that skew our view, not only of the world in which we live, but the people around us. Um, and And it's not healthy. Like we need to we need to honestly look at people and yeah, we need to recognize that some, um, you know, are dealing with very, very challenging um, confusion or even the distortion of reality. But that does not mean I let my perception of reality be distorted in the same way. That, that's exactly right. And, and again, just that, that constant practice. I mean, we love talking about spiritual disciplines in, in certain kinds of Christian traditions and those disciplines tend to be, um, reading the scriptures, which is incredibly important, or getting away for prayer, or journaling, perhaps um, some sorts of, of meditative kinds of things on God's word. You, you name it. There's a lot of disciplines. But again, I think to sit back for 15 minutes each day and just say, "So this is what I think is true about God," or "This is what I think is true about my wife, or my husband, or my child," or "This is what I think is true about my job, or my situation, or whatever it is," and and identify one or two statements each day about those things, and then really think about them, um, mm. so that we're living as close as we can to what's actually true. Because I'll tell you what, I have wreaked havoc on relationships where I've thought things about people that simply weren't true at the end of the day, and I needed to have a bit of humility to actually hear them out. And to try to live life in their shoes a little bit, so much healing can happen if we just step back in those kind of practices, I think. Okay, so earlier we had a conversation um, about sheets and how often people change their sheets. And then <laughs> at the beginning of this hour, I had I made this observation that 7 out of 10 Americans actually consider their dog their best friend, which has led to... Um, some discussion on the text line about the reason that people change their sheets so often, maybe because their dogs are sleeping with them. <laughs> yeah, I might and, not be. <laughs> and I know. And just so that you know, apparently, according to those contributing to the conversation this morning, the suspicion is you got the pink gift bag at Victoria's Secret. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. This is just the contributions there, being made by others to the conversation today. I don't. I can neither confirm nor deny that these oh things boy. are true. But yeah. the, this is what's being offered. Yeah. Well, you know, this now we're back in the perception and reality conversation, right? <laughs> on both of these things. Oh, the Faith Radio family is so brilliant. Yeah. The, the the sheet thing. Let's just say that it was a revelation when I learned that a fitted sheet was actually removable and didn't wasn't part of the of the mattress because uh, that changes, you know, the hygiene factor and the pink oh. bag. Well, the pink bag, the pink bag. You know, what? one of the things that I always struggle with at Christmas time is it's easy to throw away the wrapping paper because that yes. seems obvious, not usable. But bags, I yes. never really know what to do with. I feel bad for the bag. Do you have a giant bags. collection? Totally. Giant co- oh, oh, so do we. So oh, do my we. gosh. It, and, and I don't know. I mean, and I just keep adding to it. I mean, yeah. I, it's not like I go to the gift bag storage area when I need a gift bag. Right. Because it, it, yeah, because it's going to take too long. I just need to get the bag that fits the thing at the time <laughs> for whatever totally occasion. It. I know. That's so it. Yeah, I mean, in the ongoing supply chain crisis, if the target aisle is ever out of gift bags, I'm going to be able to sell them for resupply. like $100 each to, just to keep Resu- them. In, yeah, exactly. Oh, That's I so thought many. you were just going to like voluntarily resupply. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to we're going to leverage all those gift bags for personal gain, Carmen, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And thus uh, coming fully around back to Darwin. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> that's the that's what I learned when I may or may not have taken those notes out of that that uh, storage center <laughs> in Cambridge. <laughs> that's hilarious. All right, Peter Kapsner, as always, um, thank you so much. We love being with you. Um, next next week when we talk, it's going to be 
you know, the Thursday of Holy Week. So maybe Looking we'll spend a little time. Yeah, maybe we'll spend a little time, um, you know, wandering around on the events of uh, of what happens on that day, um, you know, and how we walk in it today. That sounds that, beautiful. That might be good for us. Indeed. Yeah, love it. All right, that's Dr. Peter Kapsner. You can, I don't know, find him on the campus of the University of Northwestern St. Paul. That might be the easiest place to find him. He does have a Twitter handle, but he's not really on Twitter. Um, you're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. We'll be right back. Do you have any, like, almost dreams? Like, oh, I, yeah, I used to, hmm, I used to dream about that. And now I've just become sort of content with the in-between or the not quite. How content are you with the unknown? What does it look like to embrace your almost? That's the conversation we're going to have with Jordan Lee Dooley. She goes by Jay. She joins us next with, you know, it's really a no-nonsense guide to life. Um, the life that we long for, even when it does not go according to what we thought we wanted. And certainly not what we planned. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's like the Joining us now, Jay. Well, she goes by Jay. Jordan Lee Dooley. She is the author of Embrace Your Almost. She's a Jesus follower, an author, a podcaster, multiple hat wearer. We're going to ask about that. You can find her at jordanleedooley.com. Jay, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, thanks, to be, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So we have been um, just quickly uh, surveying um, how often do you wash your sheets? <laughs> um, I used to not be very good about this, but I would say now it's like a weekly thing for me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it ranges. Apparently it ranges from like weekly to, you know, as much as monthly. And then people who can't remember when the last time was that they washed their sheets. The people who own dogs and have dogs in their beds, apparently they wash their sheets really frequently. And I, I think I appreciate yeah. that. I think I, I think I, all I of do that is that. good news. <laughs> It's all good news this morning. All right, um, talk with us about embrace your almost. What's what's behind this uh, this conversation? Yeah, well, th- thanks for asking. You know, this is a message that I believe is very timely for right now because so many of us have walked through almost. And what I mean by that is a dream that almost worked out or a plan that was going according to plan. And then something came out of left field and completely threw off threw us off course. Or we realized, wait. I'm not sure I should be pursuing this career or that dream or this goal. And so sometimes it's from a decision of our own or a realization of our own due to changing life circumstances, growing, changing, things like that, or it's external circumstances that we can't control. And when our plans kind of crumble at the last minute, or we find ourselves walking through a valley of uncertainty or in between or waiting it can be really hard to find the the sense of purpose and contentment in the middle of that because it feels like there's just this big uh, void or unknown kind of looming in front of us when something goes sideways. Um, and so I wrote this book to really serve as a guidebook through those seasons. How do you make the most of the middle while you still long for where you'd love to be or where you'd prefer to be? And um, when you find yourself mm-hmm. in a place where you're like, yeah, I'm not where I thought I'd be in life by now. I thought for sure I'd be married or I would have X, Y, Z in my career or, you know, something else. And so it's really meant to serve as a guidebook through those times. 
Well, and I appreciate that you lead off with helping us like actually redefine success. So mm-hmm. let's start there. What, what does it mean to redefine success when, you know, my life just doesn't look like I dreamed it would look when I was little? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think the, the thing I talk about in the book is I really have learned through a lot of my own setbacks and broken dreams. And sometimes those setbacks can actually look like deep suffering. Um, and I really learned that the refining of those setbacks, the refining of those the, of that suffering can really help us redefine success because sometimes when something doesn't work out or something almost worked out and then didn't, we find ourselves with this space that we didn't expect. You know, we thought, oh, for sure. I thought by now I'd have three kids and a dog, or I thought for sure by now I'd be here in my career. And instead I'm here. And there's this weird and unexpected, I think, invitation that exists in that place. And I, I hesitate to say invitation because it's not usually a place we want to be, but the invitation in that space is to really reconsider what is it that you're pursuing? What is it that you're doing and why? Um, why are you saying yes to whatever is on your plate, it gives us an opportunity, I guess, to reconsider and reevaluate what matters to me. What do I actually value? Because we live in a world that is constantly saying in one way or another, because there's a lot of great marketing that you can have it all and you should want it all. You can do it all, you know, and we're constantly kind of in one way or another, getting that message, whether that's from social media or advertising or both. And I think we can, it can cloud our perspective on what we actually value. What, what is it that God has for us? What is it that is right for us to be pursuing? Because it can mm-hmm. be really easy to get caught up in all the noise and start thinking, well, my sister did this, so I want to do that. Or I saw this ad and that really, you know, so I want that. And I think sometimes the setbacks, the waiting, the in-between, the broken dreams, as much as they hurt, as hard as they are, they do sometimes beckon us to pause, invite us to pause and to look around and really reconsider what is right for me? What do I value? What is the right thing to pursue and to prioritize in this season? And that's really what I want to help readers do, because I feel like that is one of the most courageous things we can do in a culture that's constantly telling us, pursue it all, do it all, be it all. Like that's, that's the dream. This is such a sit with Jesus um, conversation. Mm. Um, Because I think that, you know, we live in a world that, you know, as you have rightly noted, um, seeks to define us by a lot of external things. Mm-hmm. And and I need to be who God created me to be, who God's mm-hmm. calling me to be, who God has gifted me to be, who God needs me to be um, in terms of uh, the way he wants to use me as an instrument of his grace in the world, mm-hmm. um, you know, in reality, not in some fantasy. Um, and so talk with us about... Um, I loved the chapter on the unexpected gains from unwanted pain um, because I think that that's a really good there. Every chapter is really a perspective chapter. That's one of the things that I want to um, I want to note about embrace your almost it, each one of the chapters is really about like helping change my perception or perspective on something. So tell us a little bit about unexpected gains from unwanted pain. Yeah. So in that chapter, I outlined a story. I had walked through some complications after a surgery and I had a a, a lot of like physical pain, but also that was emotionally painful for various reasons. And, um, I remember feeling like, what was the point of that? Like other than just experiencing more complications and more hardship, I, at first I was like, why did I have to walk through all these complications on top of what I'm already going through health wise and family wise and personally. And I was really struggling with the purpose of that. And in the moment, it's really hard to see the purpose of pain or 
you know, even just the good that can come out of a really bad thing. And then, you know, a year passed and I looked back and I had so many different loved ones in my life, whether that was a family member or a close friend, making comments on things like, Jay, you know, you are so much more discerning than you used to be. Like, you're so much more thoughtful about the things that you say yes and no to. And you really, you know, consider like, what is right for me versus just next opportunity, next thing, you know, um, they've started to make comments. You're a lot more patient. You're a lot more empathetic. And so I started to take note of those comments and because you don't always see that in yourself, you know? And I found that through unwanted pain, both emotionally, physically, et cetera, um, over the course of time, as much as in the moment that pain seemed really pointless, there was a lot of unexpected growth and what I called gains. I didn't want to gain them. I would have preferred not to ever gain those things and have my plans go off perfectly and never go through hard things. But I also look back and I'm like, wow, so much growth came as a result of the suffering that sometimes is the setback. Right. Um, and so I, I outline in the book, you know, some of those unwanted gains look like things like discernment, um, increased patience. Cause I'm not naturally a patient person, um, increased empathy. Like I used to feel like when someone would share their burdens or their hardships with me, I would feel sorrow and sad for them. Um, but I didn't know how to feel with them and be with them in it. It didn't really touch me personally until I kind of walked through my own fire. And all of a sudden that created a lot of empathy and that deepened a lot of connections and relationships and the way I could serve and the way God could really use me right where I'm at. That's so, um, that's so insightful. It's also so wise. Um, I, I think that the, the example of really listening to other people comment on how we grew, how we changed, how the adversity that they walked with us in or watched us walk through changed us in their experience. Like there's a lot of wisdom in that. You um you have learned to listen well somehow mm-hmm. some way. Um you have learned to listen well. Um tell us um tell us something about you that you feel like, hey, when I describe myself as a multiple hat wearer, here's a hat that a lot of people don't know I wear. Mm, That's a good question. Um, I would say a hat that not a lot of people know that I wear is um, I, you know, do a lot of different things. That's why I say multiple hat wearer. So between being a wife and business owner and things like that. Um, but another hat that I wear that not most people realize is I would say I wear the hat of mom. I don't have my kids here on earth. Um, I've lost multiple pregnancies, but I do carry that as, you know, something that is important to me because I think in our culture, we often tell women, like women often don't think like we think we become a mom once we give birth or, you know, something like that. And I believe you could become a mom the second there's life inside of you. And so that's a hat that I wear quietly. I don't need the whole world to know it. Um, but I do believe that that is part of my calling. And I believe that that's part of who I am now. Wow. Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I feel like I know you in a completely different way. Um, I'm, I consider myself a mom. I've never had kids. Um, mm-hmm. I've never, uh, and I've never had occasion to be pregnant. Um, mm-hmm. I got married, you know, when I was in my forties and, um, um, but I'm a mom to a lot of yeah. kids and I have a lot of people whose lives I shepherd. And I feel like, yeah. you know, my mom nature comes out a lot in those relationships mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that, um, yeah, so I, I appreciate that. And I, um, I also like 
deeply appreciate that you know that you have children who are in heaven. Um, and um, and I can tell you that uh, when my grandmother, Robina Benefield, just before she died, she told my mom, her daughter, honey, you don't need to worry about me. I know exactly what I'm going to be doing. And she mm-hmm. said, you know, I know that I'm going to be rocking the baby angels. And mm-hmm. by that, she meant she knew she was going to be rocking the children who she never got to hold here in this mm-hmm. life, but who she knew were in heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my grandma is rocking those babies, just waiting mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, she'll be ready to pass them off for sure. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I just, there there is this sweet tenderness to know that there are a lot of, um, a lot of people listening right now who just like you, recognize that they have babies in heaven mm-hmm. and it's um that's a profound reality um and so thank you so much for sharing that that's a that's a very intimate thing thank you yeah absolutely and and thank you for sharing what you said too because i think you're so right i don't think that the only thing that defines mom is biology right or um you know i think spiritual mothering is is a huge thing shepherding others you know there's a lot of kids we host in our home through a program called safe families which we absolutely love and so getting to stand in kind of as a caretaker and mother figure in their life is another way that that you know that i would say i wear that hat and i love that you shared that too because there's so many of us who who play that role in so many so many people's lives or in various young people's lives for one reason or another and that's something i think we're all called to um and all able to do. And it really can be such a huge gift. So I'm thankful that you share that as well. Oh, we love safe families. Thank you so much for, um, for being a part of that. All right. We are talking with uh, Jay Dooley. She goes by Jay. Jordan Lee Dooley is her full name. That's how you're going to find her online. JordanLeeDooley.com. We're talking about her brand new book, Embrace Your Almost. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Back to the Continuing our conversation with Jordan Lee Dooley. You can find her at jordanleedooley.com. All right, Jay, let's um, let's turn back uh, to the book. We're talking about Jay's new book, Embrace Your Almost. Um, I, um, you know, as you get further into it and you, um, and you talk about uprooting the lies that we believe, that was, um, that's a really, that's a rich chapter. So talk with us about that. What does it mean to uproot the lies we believe? Yeah. So after I walked through some loss and also just a lot of other disrupted plans, I I share those stories in the book, both the losses and also some just lighter, almost (laughs) not quite working out. Um, I was really struggling with just different thoughts of like, God has abandoned me. This, this is never going to happen for me. This, you know, it's just so easy to kind of downward spiral. And I was talking with a counselor and she shared with me, she said, Hey, those thoughts are really normal, um, but be careful how often you think them because it only takes 200 thoughts to become a belief. And I remember when she said that, I was like, I'm pretty sure I've already thought that more than 200 times. <laughs> and she, uh, <laughs> she, you know, kind of said like, we got to kind of get that out. And so um, a few days after that, about a week after that, I was working on some yard work and we had kind of neglected our yard work all summer, admittedly that year. And so we had some monster weeds in some of our planting beds. And I don't mean like, oh, it was like six inches tall. It was like as tall as me. They were, there were, there were some that I was like, this isn't a weed. This is now a tree. Um, and my husband was mowing the grass and I was going to try to get these, these, uh, weeds out. And I could not at first, I could not get this massive weed out. And I just made this random spontaneous decision to assign 
each weed, there were a handful of big ones, a lie that I think I had been, like, I realized I had been believing. And so for the first big one, I kind of wrapped my hands around the base of it. And I said, this is the lie that God has forgotten about me. And like, there was some sort of like determination or like superhuman strength I found in that moment because I was so determined to get that dang thing out because I had realized like what my counselor had said, that thought I hadn't really learned. I was in such a season of suffering and struggling that I hadn't been taking my thoughts captive. They had turned into beliefs that had rooted into my heart. And it was like, just, I could not get out of that headspace. And so I, I grabbed the base of it and I yanked as hard as I possibly could used every fiber of my being. I felt like, and at first it wasn't coming out and I gave it one last hug. And all of a sudden it, the roots broke. It let, it let go from the ground. I almost fell back on my backside because it startled me how quickly it came out. And there was something empowering about that. And so I continued to do that with the next weed and the next weed until I got the main big ones out. And I just assigned each weed a lie. This is the lie that God's forgotten about me. This is a lie that it'll never happen for me. This is the lie that, you know, one thing after another. And by the end of it, like I was sweating and exhausted, but like so empowered and like uplifted for the first time. And I felt like I did have some say over what I would allow to take root in my heart and what I don't. And it can be really hard to kind of uproot the things that begin to solidify in our hearts and in our minds when we've struggled, when we've had setbacks, when life has not gone our way, when we felt betrayed or like struggling to see God's faithfulness in the midst of pain. And so that was really a pivotal moment for me and a turning point to kind of start believing truth again, to start kind of filling in those holes where those weeds, you know, metaphorically had left in my heart of, okay, now what do we want to grow there? You know, and what, what needs to be planted there so that I can operate according to truth, not just these lies that I begin, begun to believe. Hmm. The book is Embrace Your Almost, Find Clarity and Contentment in the In-Betweens, Not Quites, and Unknowns. Jordan Lee Dooley is the author um, Jordan, I know that um, you have a you have a commitment to like well being and even mm-hmm. what I might consider like healthy living. Mm-hmm. So as we um, you know as we come out of winter and emerge into spring, it's a good time for us to adopt some you know maybe some new practices that take us outside and get us moving again. Um, maybe eating better. What what is what would you say are some of the things in the rhythm of well being that you want people to um, embrace and know? Mm, such a good question. That was such a huge part. I I considered you know some of the waiting and the in betweens as like a boot camp season, um, where mm-hmm. I believe like in those moments God can really grow us and and develop us and and prepare us for what He has next for us. Whether that's the next thing that we really desire or something else, He really can use that for preparation. And one of the things that um, I leaned into, like you said, was learning how to take better care of myself and not in like a selfish way, but just in a way where I started to find like, oh, I'm struggling with some health things that I wasn't aware of, things like adrenal fatigue and other things, burnout. And so I really had to kind of create some new rhythms and disciplines. Um, One of those was the simple discipline of making sure that I drew some boundaries around screens and blue light. Um, I used to just Mm. look at my phone until the moment I went to bed. And I really started to find I need to prioritize my sleep and really be better about that. And so I started shutting off screens at least an hour before bed, ideally closer to two hours to really let my mind wind down. And I found that I was sleeping so much better. I was so much more rested. So that's a very simple thing I think we can all implement. Um, I don't know why we need to be on our phones at 10 p.m. anyway. So um, anyway, that's something I implemented in my journey. And um, 
And then also just making some simple swaps to try to make, you know, healthier choices. One thing that we chose to, um, was to create a rhythm of rest in our life um, by taking an afternoon or a full day on the weekend to completely unplug and to read, to garden, to go for walks, to go to brunch with friends and not be available on our cell phones because we're constantly plugged in. And so there was a season where we did that for a full 24 hours. And there have been busier seasons where we do that for 10 to 12 hours just throughout the day on like a Saturday or Sunday. But we really try to prioritize a Sabbath as much as we can weekly because that becomes this rhythmic rest to reset, not only going into the next week, but also to look forward to as the week goes on and as you get tired. And it's just a pause, you know, in the middle of our week. And so a few simple disciplines like that have really been huge, not only for growth and, you know, thriving just as an individual, but also for my marriage, for my relationships, because I'm Mm -hmm. more rested. I'm more balanced, you know, I have more energy. Um, And I've really found the Lord has used kind of a season of unknown and in between to help me prioritize that and develop that those disciplines in me. And I think they're simple things that we can do and implement if we just choose to. All right, that's fantastic. You guys ought to be following um, Jay on Twitter. She is at Mrs. Jordan Dooley. You can also find her online, jordanleedooley.com. The brand new book is Embrace Your Almost. Jay, what a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBurge. This is Faith Radio. That was super fun. Um, All right. Thank you for um, including me in your day. I'm going to be praying for you today. I do that every morning, um, and then I do it throughout the day as the Lord prompts me to do so. Um, One of the things that that Jordan Lee shared with us was that she and her husband are a safe families um, host family. So maybe you want to check that out, safe-families.org. Um, reminds me that our friend Maridel Sandberg is engaged in uh, in a ministry um, in the Twin Cities, um, Together for Good. If you've never checked that out, great opportunity for um, those of you concerned about vulnerable children and their families. Um, you, you ought to check out Together for Good. All right, there you go. There's some uh, inspiration for things that you might um noodle on and examine and consider supporting today. Um, Get out there and um, breathe it in. Breathe it in. God's grace is all sufficient. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.